0: welcome in to another busting brackets podcast i'm your host brian ralph joined as always by my co-host connor hope uh, and connor we were talking in our pre-show meeting didn't know how much we'd have to talk about this week um uh, but then kansas and kansas state decided they wanted to do their best wwe impression
1: yeah no definitely um you know i i, I an hour ago if you asked me what the the biggest unfortunate story of the day would be, it'd probably be that Alan Griffin, um, you know, stepping, uh, on the chest of a Purdue player.
0: What is going on
1: in college basketball? I mean, as if, as if the, the good teams losing a bunch and, and teams being disappointing wasn't enough. We now have to deal with guys like Alan Griffin, stepping, stepping, um, who did he steps? Uh, Oh, uh, He stepped up Stefanovich. And then then this, in the Kansas-Kansas State game, with a second left, uh, Kansas State steals the ball from DeSouza, who's trying to run out the clock. DeSouza comes back and blocks it. You think all is good. DeSouza then decides to stand over the Kansas State player, causing what ended up being a benches clearing brawl with a second left.
0: DeSouza goes and— Poured into the uh,
1: stands there right behind behind the the basket. basket. Um, De Souza picks up a chair, uh, you know, as if it's the WWE or something. And luck- luckily, someone was heads up enough to, uh, instead of jumping into the brawl to try and pull it apart, to grab the chair because yes. that would have escalated, I think, what will eventually be a pretty heavy suspension coming down on DeSouza um, for Absolutely. even starting the fight. But then if that's not uh, enough, Because of a new rule in the NCAA uh, brought about by sports bettors, sports betting, uh, where all games have to be finished if possible, the refs forced both teams to come back on the floor with Kansas up 22 with a second left in the game just so that Kansas State could shoot free throws on the technical.
0: Student-athletes
1: right i mean it, it, you're putting the safety of athlete student athletes who who aren't getting paid for this fans everyone at risk because yeah. you want the betters to be happy and might i add i don't think it would have made a difference in on the line um, No, what was the, the line was what 16 and a half 17 points and they were up by 22 so even if he had made both free throws it would have kansas still would have covered so I just I just don't get it, and and DeSouza should be ready for a pretty hefty suspension. He he, he was under the microscope uh, coming into the year, um, mm-hmm. was probably lucky to be able to play this year, and then goes you know goes ahead and does this. Um, and as as a guy who's only really playing ten minutes a game, you know I wouldn't be surprised if the suspension came down from Bill Self. To be quite honest with you.
0: I, I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't play again. Or I would I would be surprised if he plays again this year. Like I, I think the suspension, or at least for the rest of the regular season, um, because of how bad that was and because there was a chair involved, that's probably gonna add on a couple games. And the fact that this was D'Souza, I think, is interesting, not from a potential suspension standpoint, but just from how his entire career at Kansas has gone. Right? Because his when he got there, his guardian took money, ended up getting Kansas involved in the whole FBI investigation. He suspended for essentially a year and a half, two years, without really playing, right? And instead of trying to go pro, um, which I thought was probably the best course of action for him given how long he had to sit out, or transferring schools, he stayed at Kansas to try and fight it out to play for Bill Self, play for the Jayhawks. This year, I suppose, through the year, he sort of came in and gave them that boost, but they found out they couldn't really play him as, alongside Azebuke. And so he's playing a, a relatively minor role off the bench for them this year. And to go in and, and have this happen now, it it's just his, his career there has been a mess. It's been just, I don't want to say a series of unfortunate events, but just a series of nothing good happening since he's really been at Lawrence. And I... I'm not trying to rationalize kind of what he's what he did in in the fight. But I I could certainly understand there being a lot of frustrations that essentially came to a boiling point for him in this. I think that's kind of what we saw from his reaction, because there's, you know, guy steals the ball when you're dribbling out the clock. That's annoying. Understand that. But his reaction to it, uh, the block was good standing over him kind of fine i get that but everything else i think he he, i think he just kind of snapped
1: yeah well and i and i and i think this is and it's i don't know if i want to blame bill self necessarily but i think you know this might be what causes the teflon to wear off of this kansas program because if you look at their last five years six years um you know they had carlton bragg situation i mean they were granted carlton bragg got got relieved or released by three different programs yeah. but uh it's not just it's not just a, it's it's not a, just a Kansas thing, problem but they had that uh mm-hmm. i know that there it's pretty murky on whether or not the their report disproves the fbi report but they were named in that uh, they have this situation uh the first situation with DeSouza, the second situation with DeSouza. And and you look at other programs that are in similar situations, Arizona, uh, Auburn – or not Auburn, LSU, um, DePaul, where like everyone – Louisville, where everyone is is kind of just marking them as dirty, cheating programs. And then you get Kansas, where I don't think they have the same – same level of you know criticism as these other programs just on a general level um and they're you know at at some point bill self has to kind of create a culture change at kansas because it it doesn't seem like they it seems like this happens almost every year
0: yeah and there's even the the billy preston situation um which they handled he didn't play a game for them um And there were links with the FBI and Adidas, as you mentioned. Um, I I reported when that stuff broke that Adidas was trying to steer Zion Williamson towards Kansas. And that sort of faltered off after the the FBI news broke. Um, They do get a pass because I think they handled the Billy Preston situation well. They, you know, listened to the NCAA with D'Souza. They, they weren't Louisville, multiple-time offender. They're not Arizona, who is kind of thumbing their nose at the NCAA, right? So there are other schools. I think the way they've handled it is kind of the reason why there's been some of this yeah, around and Kansas.
1: And that's why I'm hesitant to put any blame on Bill Self, because every step along the way, Bill Self has handled it appropriately. And so if it was a one-off situation— you know you could say okay he's handled it appropriately but because it's happened pretty consistently over the last five or six years for kansas um not necessarily that self should be blamed but that self needs to go through a full internal kind of reflection and, and figure out how to prevent these things from happening
0: oh exactly and every program that goes through this should um yeah, I think they're the program. I don't want to say they're at a crossroads because I don't. They're not at all. They're still one of the you know number three in the country, right? Yeah. Some crossroads that is. But the Big Twelve championship streak ended. Mm-hmm. They didn't land uh, a, a top fifty recruit this year. It was you know a, a down year from just what you're you're expecting from Kansas as, as a program overall. Mm-hmm. Right. And that doesn't mean they're not getting back there. But I think the program is losing a lot of momentum. And this certainly isn't going to help that. Right. And it doesn't mean they can't get it back either. I mean, it it, it takes two seconds to get it back. And oh, yeah. they may win the Big 12 this year and maybe the Final Four, obviously. And that changes. Um, there's, as you mentioned, there's just not a lot that has gone right. And this sort of seems like kind of the the icing on the cake, so to speak, with that
1: yeah and, and of course Kansas State's not innocent in this whole endeavor um but I just think that there were a...
0: no they had guys pouring off the bench oh, that really well, that really escalated it and and you, there's a shot when D'Souza Souza really started to punch and it was him standing staring four Kansas State guys in the face right. including a guy non-jersey off the bench who was you know really the one kind of instigating things
1: well they they ejected every player other than the five that were on the floor for each team so I mean the bench is yeah. cleared. Um, right. But, well, but, again,
0: getting getting ejected with one second left doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> you know, some punishment.
1: Um, but yeah, I was just kind of I was just kind of disappointed that 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 rule kind of was was put in place, and I think that this is a perfect example of why it might not have been entirely thought through in terms of a player safety perspective.
0: No, and, and this gets into a larger conversation that I don't want to have tonight, yeah, because we don't have enough time for it. But putting a rule in like that for betting purposes while also maintaining the amateurism rules and that these are students first uh, is peak hypocrisy of the NCAA and the the sham that it is. But, again, that's a conversation for another day. We're going to go back to other teams on the court, and we'll, we'll stay in the Big 12 looking at actual performances. I want to start with Baylor because Baylor has risen to number one this week. Kind of surprised that this was the week that they jumped Gonzaga, but I I, I think it, it I think Baylor's number one. I think you can make a legitimate case for either Baylor or Gonzaga being number one but I I, I will say if you have Baylor number one, that jump should have happened last week and not this week because they didn't look great against Oklahoma State. They didn't look great against Oklahoma Monday night either and Gonzaga is playing some of their best basketball of the season blowing out Santa Clara and BYU. I was confused as to why that happened this week um but there I don't think you can argue against the Bears being the best team in the country.
1: Yeah, I mean I actually I had them number 1 uh after they won at Allen Fieldhouse. And I did then too. I actually moved that moved Gonzaga back up above Baylor. Um, After Gonzaga went on that tear in the second half against BYU, um, mainly because it was probably the worst week that Baylor has had since their first week of the season.
0: Mm -hmm. And Um, it it continued, which is, I, I, I think, I'm starting at least to be concerned about them for the first time in two months.
1: Right. And it was probably the best week Gonzaga's had since their wins against, like, Washington and Arizona, Um, Mm -hmm. which is why I was confused because I actually flipped them back. I I moved Gonzaga back up to number one because of of the struggles that it seemed like Baylor was having. Uh, And and I agree with you. If any week should have been the week that Baylor moved up, it should have been the week after um, they beat Kansas. And I think last week was an example of of kind of polls being delayed. And and almost I feel like – Voters not wanting to vote Gonzaga number one, and so they might have had Gonzaga number two with Duke above Gonzaga, Baylor below Gonzaga, and then flipped Baylor up to number one. Um, mm-hmm. after that, so I get that, but I mean, it, it was just it was kind of a weird week for that flip to happen. Uh, I do
0: think the AP voters are a lot of them, at least, are very regionalized in covering their teams. And maybe they know the teams in the conference but are are generally not as good from a knowledge from a national standpoint in terms of knowing a lot about all the teams in the country. And so I think there was a delay of the people who do follow it nationally like we do, like everyone who is listening to this podcast right now heard the echoes of, well, Baylor should be number one because of the resume, and it just kind of took a, a week for them to hear that, and there was a delayed result of that, not actually a reflection of what was happening on the court, which is a problem with the AP poll itself. But again, we don't have enough enough time to go into all these side topics, but I think that's that's probably why we saw it happen a week later than it should have.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was also... a a weird week for it to happen. I I get the win win over Arizona looked better this week. Um, Mm -hmm. The win over Villanova looked better. Uh, But the loss to Washington continues to look worse. Mm -hmm. Um, The win over Butler doesn't look quite as good, and we can get into that later, doesn't look quite as good as it did. Mm -hmm. Um, And obviously, I mean, they beat Texas Tech and Kansas, um, both on the road, and I think that's kind of the week where they should have moved up. But... It was just a weird, a weird, because their resume kind of took a little bit of a hit. Um, You know, net net, their resume took a little bit of a hit, and so it's just a weird, a -hmm. weird situation. I don't think that they're undeserving. Uh, I think that you could make a strong argument for either Baylor or Gonzaga at number one Um, if you're going purely based on ceiling. I get, I get the one vote for Kansas, um, but. I I it, yeah it was just a, a weird one, and so it's it's hard to be upset um, about it as a Gonzaga fan, but it's it's really easy to be a little bit confused. It was it
0: was a weird week overall. The other three teams that were in the top five, Duke, Auburn, and Butler. You mentioned Butler, all lost twice last week, mm-hmm. and Butler has already lost once again this week, falling to Villanova. It's now three losses in a row for Butler. Of those three, who are you most concerned about
1: um, I think it's I think it's very easy to be super concerned about Auburn uh, yep. just because they hadn't really beaten anybody prior to um, those losses and you't really played anybody of real strength prior to those losses um, however, I will say this. I think that the, the losses for – or the, the three losses in a row for Butler might make me a little bit more concerned about them, uh, purely from the perspective of this is a team that I think is kind of similar in my eyes to Louisville of last year, where they were over outperforming what everyone expected of them. Um if you look at Butler's wins, there's not really a fantastic win. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we talk all about how Auburn hasn't played anybody, but that win over Florida and win over Stanford might be their best wins, um, yep. and that's not saying a ton. And the three ranked teams that they've played, they have lost to. Uh, granted, two of them were on the road, but um, you know that eight-point loss to Seton Hall – who I think is the best team in the Big East, um, isn't something you want to happen either if you're a team that's looking at being a top 10, top 20 team. Um, and and I think that it, it kind of reminds me of Louisville a little bit, and I'm afraid that Butler is going to kind of get in that rut because they've lost these three games in a row and stay there.
0: I think both of these can be true. I think Butler is regressing to the mean a little bit. But I also think that Butler is better than we expected them to be this year. Like, I think they're, especially this year, no matter what, even with these three losses, a top 15 team. I think they've proven that top 20 team. They've been consistent all year with the exception of these last three games. And you can look at these three games and say, okay, you lost to Seton Hall at home, but Seton Hall, I think, is playing as, over the past month, has played as well as anybody in the country, including Baylor, including Gonzaga. And have, they have, a, who I think is the best player in the country, Miles Powell. You lose that game, snap your, your streak, uh, and then you're in the top five. Just kind of snap that winning streak they were on. Understand that. I think that bled a little bit into the, the Paul game which is the second loss that they had on the road. DePaul team that got their first conference win had really needed one. Um, so they were playing with energy that I, I don't think Butler matched. And I think it was a little bit of a hangover effect from the Seton Hall game And them. There's no shame to losing at Villanova in the Big East. It, it is, it's a tough stretch for Butler, but I I I don't think they are as good as a top five team as they were ranked to be, but I don't think this is any cause for real concern. Auburn, on the other hand, I'm a a bit more weary about because they hadn't played anybody. And the way they lost those two games, uh, both blowouts at, at Alabama and at Florida, they couldn't do what they do well and couldn't do anything else. They, they rely on their major athleticism advantage and the pace they play at to make teams uncomfortable, force turnovers, uh, get out in transition, and, and allow their athletes to get to the rim and, and beat teams that way. Against Alabama, they didn't have the athleticism advantage. It was a fast play, fast-paced game. They weren't able to out-athlete Alabama, and they turned it over 21 times. People talk about Auburn being a great three-point shooting team but they're not. That was last year's team. This year's team ranks in the country outside the top 50 in three point shooting. They're still shooting a ton of them. I think they're 86 in the country in three point attempts compared to their percent or the percentage of top shots taken from three point range. They're still shooting a ton of them, but they're not shooting it well. They rely on their athletes getting to the rim and the spacing that comes with shooting a lot of threes. And Alabama didn't give them that because. Auburn didn't have that athleticism athleticism advantage. And then they get to Florida, a team with comparable athletes but plays at a slower pace, made Auburn play at that slower pace, and Auburn couldn't execute in the half court. Now, these were, as we mentioned, two of the tougher games they've played, both conference games on the road. not going to totally knock them for struggling in this stretch, but I think they showed things that – raise a lot of red flags for me Um, and and there are red flags raised for Duke and and for Butler, but the ones that Auburn, I think had raised were a lot more alarming.
1: Yeah, no, I, I definitely have uh, less faith in Auburn than I do in, in Butler Uh, and, and the teams that Butler lost to, I mean, I think we can both agree Seton Hall is probably a top 10, possibly a top five team Villanova Mm -hmm. is probably right there somewhere in the top 20 Um, and DePaul while not probably not a tournament team is at least competitive enough to to be there Um, and then you then you look at and they they lost by what an average of 12 points or something like that Um, Mm -hmm. and then you look at Auburn who played a Florida team that's been underwhelming They've, they've kind of found their way a little bit uh, in SEC play, but they're probably no higher. They're probably in the bottom half of the bracket if they make it. Mm-hmm. And yep. Alabama, which is probably right in that same gray area as DePaul on the outside looking in, uh, by an average of twenty and a half points. Yep. So I, I think they I think they both have pretty big, pretty big tests coming up. Um, obviously, before they play Villanova at home, Butler plays Marquette and Providence at home. Uh, that, that game against Providence is probably a must-win. Um, not a must-win mm-hmm. in terms of making the tournament, but getting back on track. They probably want to win. I mean, they want to win every game, but you probably want to see them beat Marquette and Providence. They could probably drop that game at Georgetown, and, and I still wouldn't have as much of uh, concern for them um, mm-hmm. as Auburn, where they play South Carolina and Iowa State at home are their next two games. And, they lose those. Yeah, if they lose either one, I you know by by any substantial amount of points, um, yeah, I'd I'd be a little bit more concerned because I think we we all kind of knew that the reg- we knew the regression by Auburn was going to happen, yeah. um, and so if they continue to regress, it'll it'll be uh disappointing, I think, because um, this was a team that kind of showed was was trying to show that bruce pearl deserves to be in one of those you know better coaches in the co- country conversations mm-hmm. and, and I, still yeah. I still think he is i still think he is but i think this will be a team similar to those arizona state teams uh, of the past two years where people kind of point oh, like to that. it and say look they they had one or two really good wins uh during the non-conference." went through the non-conference undefeated, and then once they hit conference play, once they were consistently playing better teams, they just couldn't get it done.
0: I like that comparison. And thank you for that hard-hitting analysis of every team wants to win every game they play. <laughs> that, was really, that was really good. <laughs> uh, I, I, we didn't talk about Duke there, because I, I think we can agree that Duke probably has more talent than Auburn and Butler does. But Duke probably has the two worst losses, Uh, the Stephen F. Austin loss back in November and then the Clemson loss. And they, to me at least, looked kind of listless in that Louisville loss over the weekend where they just didn't seem to have it. Are you concerned with Duke at all and their ability to make a long run in March? Like what, how has this week changed your opinion of Duke's upside at all?
1: I would put Duke probably in the same category as I'd put Arizona um, probably in the same categories, I'd put Kentucky, which is they are teams whose ceiling is national championship, I think. Ceiling. Absolute best. Um, Arizona's ceiling might be more Elite Eight Final Four, but their ceiling is still really high. Oh, yeah. But their floor is just drastically lower than we're used to with these teams. Mm-hmm. And so would I be surprised if Duke came and won the national championship this year? Probably not. I wouldn't be shocked. Um, would I be surprised if they lost in the second round? Absolutely not. No. And and I think it, it really, I mean, and you've said this before. It really comes down to the play of Cassius Stanley.
0: One hundred percent.
1: Trey Jones and Vernon Carey can do as much as they want, but Cassius Stanley has to be the reason why Duke wins in March.
0: And I think right now it's not a Cassius Stanley problem. I think it's a Coach K problem. And
1: not realizing
0: yet at least that Cassius Stanley has become that guy for them. Mm-hmm. Late in the game against Louisville, they were trying to force feed Kerry in the post, which given Kerry's skill set and the way he's played for them is not a bad strategy, right? You understand that and, and want to work through that, but it wasn't working. And when it wasn't working, they relied on Trey Jones to sort of create his own offense off the dribble and try and play hero ball kind of like his, his brother did. And Trey's not that player. They completely went away. Now, Stanley did have two sort of of out-of-control drives at the end of the game that resulted in in turnovers. But he's the guy who has the skill set and was playing the best to take advantage of that situation. And their inability or unwillingness to give him the ball or put him in positions where he could be successful, I think sunk them in that game. And, you know, Coach K is not the greatest coach in college basketball history for no reason. He's going to figure that out by March, probably by the end of the week here. But I think that's going to determine their ceiling and and the shooting that they get from guys around them. But they've needed a star, and and Cassius Stanley looks like he's going to be their star.
1: Well, I mean, considering at at the time of this statement, they are up 20 on Miami with five minutes to go in the first half. Um, I think that they're – they're starting to figure it out, at least. Um. <laughs>
0: yeah, funny how how two two straight losses can turn it around on you, huh? uh,
1: And I think something that people aren't really discussing with with Duke is, and I think it's because there's not this insane talent and in production drop-off between Kerry, Jones, and Stanley, and, and you could argue Matt Hurt, um, to the next couple of guys, is that they're, again, they're a very top-heavy team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think... Wendell Moore, Joey Baker, Alex O'Connell are fine players, uh, but they didn't take—
0: Wendell, Wendell Moore being out I, I do think hurts them just from a depth standpoint right. and having another guy on the defensive end with that athleticism, um, not not having him does hurt Duke.
1: Right, but even when he was playing, I don't necessarily think that he was— he took any significant significant steps forward. Oh no,
0: not at um, all. And that's part of the reason why Stanley's been able to emerge into what he's become,
1: right? Uh, and so you're really relying on those four players to carry you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And after that, I mean, Wendell Moore, when if he comes when he comes back, um, if he comes back, uh, should provide some solid scoring. Uh, Joey Baker can score, uh, but then you've got you know Alex O'Connell. Hasn't really shown that he can be as a consistent scoring option. Um, Jack White uh, is maybe a little bit more consistent from three than last year, but Jack North White, North
0: White North. is Jack White. <laughs> he's not gonna he's not gonna do a ton for you.
1: So and they're a they're a top a top heavy team. Granted, players are getting more minutes now. The rotation, um, but. They're still very reliant on three to four players to win. And if you look at teams like Baylor, if you look like, at teams like Gonzaga, those teams, while they do have their star players, are not as reliant on just those star players to win them games.
0: Right. So we got those two at the top, and, and those three falling out of the top five has allowed Kansas to come back to number three. San Diego State's now up to number four. And then I think there's a big question mark at number five. Yeah, I think I think the top four is generally a consensus in some order, however you want to put those. But the number five team, I think, is where things start to get interesting. Who do you have at number five right now? Who do you think is the fifth best team in the country?
1: There are uh, three three teams that, and I and I and I sent out a tweet like this the other day where I basically listed my top four, and then there were three teams I had. Right there, competing for that number five spot. Um, and, and even for the Busting Brackets Roundtable this week, I had those same three teams. If you're looking for consistency, just consistency, making teams uncomfortable, winning basketball games, and and, and earning it, I think it's hard not to put Florida State there. Um, however, Louisville's looked really good over the last two-ish weeks. Um, mm-hmm. And Seton Hall, now that Miles Powell is back, is probably making a very is, is making a very stark, strong argument for being probably the fifth best team in the country. Uh, mm-hmm. I think they are slightly better than Florida State, but this week I have Florida State at number five simply because it's really hard for me to punish Florida State for not losing.
0: Yeah, and I understand that. I personally put Seton Hall at number five. Because, as I mentioned earlier, I think they are playing the best basketball of anybody over the past month. Since they got blown out by Rutgers by 20, even in the game that felt like 40, uh, and Miles Powell did suffer a concussion in that game and missed most of the game. But since then, even without Mamou have they've rolled through everybody. They won at Butler. They beat Maryland without Miles Powell. They won at DePaul. One at Georgetown, beat Marquette. They've proven themselves and have played at a consistently high level. Like they, There hasn't been a game where it's like, oh, they beat that team, but it, it was closer than it should have been. They've handled their business really the entire way. They're playing like the team that I, I expected them to be or thought they would be in the preseason when I picked them to win the Big East and go to the Final Four. Now, uh, Quincy McKnight has stepped up in the backcourt which has been a big part of that. And Romero Gill has stepped up in the front court for them as an elite shop blocker. 7-2. It's giving them an inside offensive presence as well. The emergence of those two guys has taken this group to the next level. And, again, looking back, since their Rutgers loss, it's been a little over a month now, uh, I would argue that Seton Hall has been the best team in the country.
1: Yeah, and I think uh, there's that and there's the fact, I mean, Miles Powell has really made this, I think, a two-man race at this point in the season. Granted, players can enter and, and leave that race at will, and it seems like mm-hmm. it's constantly changing. But I think right now it's probably a two-man race for player of the year uh, between Miles Powell and Peyton Pritchard. And I would put Obi Toppin in that mix. Yeah, based, based, on, based on play, I would put Obi Toppin in that mix. I think what's going to hurt Obi Toppin is the conference and the team for which he plays.
0: Yeah, I I will say with Toppin, he is going to need like if he's gonna win, it's gonna be because Pritchard and Powell give him the opportunity to. Right. But I, I do think that there's a there's a realistic scenario where he wins.
1: Yeah. No, I, I definitely agree. Um it, it'll be similar to the I think the Adam Morrison year where mm-hmm. there there it becomes there's not really a clear top player among the power ranks power conference yep. ranks and so obi Toppin being the best performing player uh, of the season gets that opportunity um and, and 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 dayton for me is probably right in that maybe not conversation for fifth uh um, i
0: had them a nine i think they're a top 10 team
1: and i've had them in the top 10 after the loss to colorado i dropped him out of the top 10 for a little bit but I've had him in the top 10 for the past couple of weeks. Uh, I just think um, Colorado's shown that they can beat some really good teams. Uh, they can also lose to some really bad teams. So
0: Co- Colorado's <laughs> win over Dayton, I think, was the, the kind of start of a turnaround where they started playing a lot better. And so that loss at the time was, was sort of alarming because Colorado had struggled. But starting with that game, Colorado has played at a a consistently high level to the point where it doesn't look as bad. Right. doesn't look bad at all, really,
1: but... Yeah. Um, And so, outside of those eight, I mean, I don't know who you have at number eight, um, but I have Michigan State at number nine.
0: Uh, They're a team that just keeps rising up because... They haven't played a ton of Big Ten road games yet, <laughs> so they're winning.
1: <laughs> well, they have, they have two this week. Um, and, uh, you know, Indiana, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. If they can take those two games, which I think is a strong possibility, uh, then they're probably, I mean, they're in the driver's seat, but they're, they're running away further and further out in the lead for, for that Big Ten title. Which is something I wasn't necessarily prepared to say that there would be a, a runaway favorite for the big for the Big Ten. But if Michigan State if if Michigan State can get it done this week, uh, they're definitely in the driver's seat.
0: Yeah, this week I, I think I, I kept them at eleven. I kept them just outside the top ten this week because I wanna see them get through this week. And I think I I think we'll know after this week whether they are that runaway favorite in the Big Ten or whether they're just like everybody else at the top of that conference where it's just a matter of where they play.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know? I, I was joking around um, my brother who goes to Purdue and and his friends were, they, they were messaging. And my brother said, these refs don't know what traveling is. And I said, well, nobody in the big 10 knows what traveling is. Um, <laughs> and, and it's true. I mean, out, you know, Illinois was able to win. On the road against Purdue, there's been some, some big road wins, but as a whole, the Big Ten is really not good on the road. I don't you know
0: if look at, you can just look at Maryland like needing the last two minutes to beat Northwestern on the road,
1: yeah. you know. Um, like that's and,
0: supposedly a final four contender that struggled to beat six win Northwestern,
1: and I don't think it's a home court advantage because even in the non conference. The, the difference between the big 10 success yeah. at home and on the road was drastic.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's a crazy thing.
1: Well, It'll be interesting. I still, I mean, the big 10 is still the probably going to have the most bids to the NCAA tournament.
0: Um, Th- this loss for Purdue, I think hurts their, well,
1: I think it might not. I think it knocks the ceiling of the big 10 from 12 to 11. Um, yeah, teams and so it's just a matter of can Minnesota get it done um, to make it 11 but
0: yeah it'll be interesting to see kind of what happens with that because Minnesota is, is trending up uh, Rutgers I, I think at this point you'd look at as being pretty safely in mm-hmm. Penn State pretty safely in I, I don't know if you put Wisconsin as safely in but they're certainly on the right side Illinois safely in right now for sure um, the Big Ten is, is going to absorb a lot of those bids. Right. They don't have those teams at the top, but they're going to absorb a lot of those middle bids. The seeds at the top probably going to go to a lot of mid majors. We're going to have Gonzaga as a one. San Diego State's looking more and more like a one. And uh, uh, San Diego State fans, you can talk to me or Connor on Twitter. I don't know if you prefer a one seed in the Midwest or a two-seed in the West with Gonzaga as the one. Uh, I don't know how you look at that as an an Aztecs fan, but they're probably going to get a one. I think Dayton's in the mix for a two-seed. Yep. You know? Um, We're going to see a lot of those teams in much higher places than we're used to. And I want to look specifically, you talked a little bit about Dayton's potential in March. Them against San Diego State. Who do you think has more potential of making a Final Four run?
1: I'm going to go with Dayton. Um, I think San I Diego State is probably the better team, um, or at least is playing has played over the course of the season like the better team. With that said, I'm not sure San Diego State has the size inside to compete with teams that they might need to beat to make it to the Final Four. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm not just talking about Gonzaga or Kansas or Baylor. Um, And and I know I said a couple of weeks that Baylor really didn't have anyone inside, but Freddie Gillespie is looking more and more like one of the best bigs um, in the country. I know he doesn't score a ton, but he does everything else that you ask for from a big. And he's not.
0: He's He's hes 30, Andre Jordan.
1: Yeah. He's not a net negative on offense and he is a huge positive on defense. Um but even even some of the other teams that are out there uh the Iowa's the Wisconsin's um they have some good bigs and I think Obi Toppin obviously has the ability mm-hmm. to really do damage down low and you thought that you had that guy in uh Mensa but he hasn't been, He hasn't played. He's been hurt. Yeah. So, if he can get healthy, you know, he they I, I might reconsider. I still probably lean Dayton, but I might reconsider. But the fact that Mensa is not there uh, playing for them right now, healthy, I think mm-hmm. if the tournament were to start today, I would have more confidence in Dayton making a deep run than in San Diego State.
0: Yeah i I think San Diego State is certainly more deserving of getting a higher seed Uh, that undefeated Mark looks really good, but the way they've played to get there too, shouldn't be undersold. Uh, Their defense is incredible. And I think Malachi Flynn uh, isn't on that same level in the national player of the year conversation as Obi Toppin, but I think certainly has a place in that conversation along with guys like Luca Garza kind of in that second tier of candidates. But I I do, I, I like Dayton as well. I think there's a great chance they make the Final Four this year, although I think a lot of it will depend on the matchups with them as we get into the second weekend. Yeah. I think the only thing that can beat them, and I think the only thing that has really given them a lot of problems, I go back to that Kansas game, they could not handle Azubuke inside. Right. And they've had a lot of problems with teams that have been able, that have size, teams that have been able to utilize that size down low. Yeah. Cuz it's it's Obi Toppin and a lot of guards. But Obi Toppin isn't really an inside I say not really an inside player. He's he he can he can do it. He's an inside outside kind of player, but he's not the kind of guy who wants to physically battle in the post all game.
1: Yeah, he he kind of reminds me um and granted, I think he's better than Bonzi Colson, but he kind of reminds me of Bonzi Colson in the sense that he can be your big if you need him to be your big to battle against these big guys. Uh, mm-hmm. But he's always going to be at a disadvantage size wise, um, in terms of height. Granted, mm-hmm. he's he's built like a truck, so mm-hmm. that that helps him. Um, and he likes to play kind of inside outside, um, and isn't the guy you want to be in the paint when you're going up against a player like Freddie Gillespie, when you're going up a player like Udo Azabuki, when you're going up mm-hmm. against a player like Philip Petrushev, and so. Do I think they can make a deep run? Absolutely. But I think it actually comes down more to their guard play than it does to the play of Obi Toppin. Yeah. I,
0: I, I, the times I've watched Dayton when they've played teams with, with other bigs and when those teams have made Toppin defend in the post over and over and over again, it takes a lot of energy out of him. And it, in turn, limits his offense. Like They're, they're sort of limiting him offensively by making him play tough defense down low. And I think that's the biggest key to beating Dayton. I really like their guards. Uh, Jalen Crutcher I I think is incredible, and I wrote about him in this week's Ralph Report as being Dayton's sort of X factor and unsung hero who should be getting more notoriety than he has been. I think that they can beat any team in the country – just based on guard play and perimeter play. I think their offense is that good. I think it'll be Toppin's that good. I think Crutcher's that good. Um, Just they play that style so well. And I will probably pick them to win every game they play against a team that doesn't have a super dominant big man. And again, there there are very few teams that do. But I I think that dominant big man, whether it's Asabuke, uh, Vernon Carey uh, at Duke, a guy like that, that's going to be, I think, where they run into problems and lose. And you know, we don't know how that's going to look until we get a bracket in front of us, which is less than eight weeks away. Very excited about that. It's coming soon. <laughs> um, but I think that's the only thing that could really stop them and make them maybe make them lose earlier than they should.
1: What do you think the reactions are going to be from, I, I want to say, casual college basketball fans when the bracket comes out and you've got teams like Dayton, you know, seated on the two or three line. Um, teams like Colorado, Rutgers, uh, Penn State, possibly Arkansas, Stanford, mm-hmm. uh, USC, um, I don't know, BYU, Minnesota, NC State, uh, in the tournament, possibly. Mm-hmm. And then teams like Virginia, Washington, uh, UNC out lo- looking yeah. at, at NIT bids. Well, I think UNC right now would pray for an NIT bid.
0: <laughs> They're not getting that. Um, I think what we'll see is a great opportunity for us and those listening to this podcast to win their bracket pool because those casual fans or the fans that tune in, tend to tune in just for March – Generally go with names they know, and a lot of times it's the blue bloods. But a lot of times it's you know, you know they they've seen. I, I don't know. Maybe they've seen NC State in the field a couple times, and it stood out to them, and so they'll pick them to go far. Right. But but these teams that are going to get those seeds, the San Diego States, the Minnesotas, the Rutgers, Penn State teams they haven't seen. I don't. They're not going to pick them to go as far because they're not familiar with them. I, I think those are going to be the upset picks that people pick because, oh, I don't know, Penn State's not good at basketball. They can't possibly be good enough to beat um, UNC Greensboro, who's made it a couple years in a row, I think. UNC Greensboro wins this game.
1: Yeah.
0: Now, that's a different conversation because UNC Greensboro probably could beat Penn State. UNC Greensboro's a pretty good team. But that's just an example, I, I think, of what we could run into um, – come come, Selection Sunday and the days that follow is a lot of those people picking a lot of those teams to lose earlier than they probably will.
1: Yeah, and you could see um, teams like BYU who a casual fan might not, might not recognize that a lot of their losses came without Yoli Childs. And if Childs is playing uh, in the NCAA tournament as a 10 or an 11 seed, they might be quick to dismiss BYU um, because there's going to be a lot of that. There's going to be a lot of teams whose seeding is artificially lowered, um, whether they're at the top of the seeding or, or towards the 8, 9, 10, 11 lines um, because of injuries. And if they're at full health and playing against some of these other teams that had taken advantage of the openings towards the top of the uh, seed lines, then i think there's going to be a great opportunity maybe not for the 12 5 13 4 upsets um but a lot of you know 10 and 11 seed teams that have the ability to upset some of these higher seeded teams
0: yeah i agree we're it's going to be one of those years where we get a you know where was it uconn won the championship as a seven seed
1: but the last two years last two championships for UConn were both at 7 seeds. At 7 seeds
0: and I think Butler made the final 4 as a as a 5 and we saw um yeah, you know, VCU I don't th- I don't think we're going to see a, like a VCU type run from the first four to the final 4 or or a 12 seed or 11 seed make the final 4 but we could definitely see some in the elite 8, yep. sweet 16. And it's going to just be those inconsistent teams that find it in late February and March and get hot, sort of like Oregon did last year.
1: Right. I mean, uh, there's going to be a lot of those. There's going to be, and there's going to be a lot of opportunity for teams that make a run similar to your South Carolina team from 2017, where one player. Yeah. And one player, um, maybe it's Jordan Ford for St. Mary's. Maybe it's Marcus Howard from Marquette. Um, but all that it takes is that one player having a ridiculous month of March, and they find themselves in the, in the position to make the Final Four. So right. it, there's not a team out there, even Baylor, even Kansas, even Gonzaga, that should feel not just safe for getting a, a high seed or the, the seed that they want, but even when it comes down to their second round games should feel safe because there are plenty of eight, nine, 10, 11 seeds that I see that could win a game against an unsuspecting Baylor, Kansas, Gonzaga, Duke, uh, Butler, Michigan State. So it's going to – I think it's going to be a fun march, which probably means that it's going to be the chalkiest bracket we've had in a while. (laughs) Of course.
0: (laughs) Uh, It will be be tough to chalk – (laughs) <laughs> top last year's chalkiness right but well yeah, last I, year's chalkiness. i don't th- i also don't think any of the top seeds are good enough to feel confident right in a second round game
1: well in last year's chalkiness let's be fair it was chalked through the first two rounds and it's set up for probably the most exciting sweet 16 onward that we've seen yep. as a whole uh, of it because you have truly what are the most consistent best teams in the country playing each other um mm-hmm. You get rid of those Cinderellas here and there, but you also get rid of the Cinderella making the Sweet 16 and then facing a Kansas. Right. So,
0: yeah. It'll be it'll be interesting to see because there, there are a lot of teams with that kind of potential. A, a team that I'm – we'll, we'll wrap this up here and get to our bowl predictions here in a second, and this sort of leads into mine. One of the teams that I think could end up being – that kind of team that rides one guy unexpectedly to a long run is Texas tech. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if I'm just latching on to the last two years and what they've done under Chris beard uh, with kind of two different groups, which I, I think still doesn't get talked about enough, how good of a job beard did with that transition last year, but they're a team that's sitting here, what they're going to be looks like they're going to lose to TCU at the time of this recording. Surprise, which is going to drop them to twelve and six on the year. They had that Louisville win, but outside of that, have been have been really inconsistent. Um, they're a team that I think could catch fire, and, and if and when they do, go on a, a kind of spurt. And they have a guy in, in J- Jamius Ramsey that can really has the potential at least to take over games and, and be that sort of Peyton Pritchard, Kemba Walker, Sendarius Thornwell type guy where everything goes through him. And that's my, my bold prediction for this week is I think this time next week, Ramsey is going to be a, a much bigger household name and be somebody that we're talking about as one of the best freshmen in the country, which he is but he's going to get a lot more notoriety and people are going to be talking about him more because Texas Tech, and I think that's kind of why they're they're going to lose TCU here, they're looking ahead a little bit to a game this weekend against Kentucky. At home, 6 o'clock ESPN, nationally televised, it is the prime opportunity for Texas Tech to kind of pick up that sort of momentum-boosting win that can springboard them on a, on a big streak, sort of like we saw last year, um, where they went on a, got really hot through February and into March, looked unbeatable and nearly won the national championship. I think that starts Saturday in a impressive win over a flawed and beatable Kentucky team. And I think Ramsey leads it with one of those kind of holy cow performances that players put on sometimes. I think he gives us one of those. I think Texas Tech wins big and would become somebody that we're talking about uh, in a very different way and much more about this time next week. What about you? What, what, what's your bold prediction for the week?
1: So I don't th- I, my bold prediction right now, I think USC sweeps Oregon and Oregon state on the road. Okay. Um, I think they're playing, uh, you know, after their loss, bad loss at Washington, they're, probably playing the best basketball in the Pac-12 right now. Um, they eked out a win against Stanford, where Stanford was up by a ton at the half. Um, Stanford was up 20 at the half, and, and and USC was able to win in overtime. I think Onyeka Okongwu is one of the least talked about, most deserving to be talked about players in the country. Mm-hmm.
0: Um NBA draft guys love him. Oh,
1: yeah. I mean he's he's coming on as when you can separate yourselves yourself from a consistent big like Nick Rikosevich and one of the most talked about granted probably more so because of his brother, but most talked about freshman forwards as Isaiah Mosley Mobley. Mm-hmm. Um, y- you've done something right. And they have tied with Stanford for first place in the Pac-12. Granted, they've played California and Washington State to get there um, as well as Washington and UCLA. And so really their only tough win uh, at this point is Stanford. But...
0: Twenty-one point comeback win in a game they probably shouldn't have won, <laughs> uh,
1: but I think I think right now the Pac-12. Everyone knows that the Big Ten is going to do well in March, um, and the teams that make it for the or the Big Ten is going to do well in March. The teams that make it for the Big Twelve, teams that make it for the ACC are probably going to be higher up in the seed, on the seed lines. I think the Pac-12 could be one of the sneaky underrated conferences heading into March, because I think because Oregon. Has underperformed, but their ceiling is insane.
0: I still think they have national championship potential, and I may still pick them. It depends how they're playing.
1: Colorado and Arizona. Colorado is playing really well. Um, I don't think people give them enough credit for how well they're playing. Uh, and and yes, they have been ranked. Yes, they you know beat Dayton on the national stage. Uh, but I still think that there's something holding them back a little bit from being mm. given the, the credit they're due. USC probably makes the tournament. Stanford probably makes the tournament, and people are probably going to pick them to lose uh, in their first games simply because how could USC and Stanford be competitive in basketball? The only reason they made it is because the rest of the Pac-12 sucks. Exactly. Um, I don't think that's necessarily the case. I am believing more and more in USC, and mm-hmm. I'm going. I'm willing to forgive – one bad half um, against for Stanford because I think we we forgiven one bad half uh, for or what equates to essentially one bad half for Baylor. Uh, mm-hmm. We've forgiven bad halves for a bunch of other teams. I, I I'm willing to forgive Stanford. I, I think if USC can bully the inside against Oregon and get. Uh, some of their players That'll into foul calming. trouble. Some of their players into foul trouble, which I don't necessarily think is out of the question. Um, Shakur Justin is not someone that isn't is always performing nope. at the, the top of his game. I still think Infali Dante is a little bit out of shape. Um, Francis Akoro is a foul machine, and so. <laughs> yeah. If they can make this a game that's won on the interior and play adequate enough defense to really give the guards in Chris Duarte, Peyton Pritchard, Anthony Mathis some trouble, I think USC is going to be in sole possession of first place just purely based on math um, in the Pac-12 at the end of this week.
0: Yeah, if Sanford can win both of those, there's a good chance they find themselves ranked in the top 20 next week. So it would be really interesting to see. But that'll wrap up this week's edition of the busting brackets podcast thanks again for listening My co-host connor hope i'm brian ralph talk to you guys again next week